0: Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. In today's episode, we discuss the role of AI in Treasury and overall how Kiriba is adapting to this new AI outburst. We will be discussing all that and a lot more in our latest episode with Bob Stark from Kiriba. Bob Stark is a trailblazer in enterprise liquidity, payments, and risk management As the driving force behind a multi-product go-to-market strategy, Bob's expertise fuels valuation and growth, while also forging a new brand for the future of financial technology. Kiriba is renowned for its treasury management system, a comprehensive solution that offers automated cash management, seamless bank connectivity, strategic liquidity planning, streamlined payments, and efficient working capital features. In the episode of today, expect to learn what are the potential applications and limitations of AI in treasury, what is the North Star of AI in treasury, what is an API and how does it help treasurers embrace artificial intelligence technology, what is predictive AI, and much, much more. We were very much looking forward to recording and releasing this episode. Bob is a reference in the world of Treasury and quite a podcast enthusiast, but his knowledge in AI and application he sees for Treasury left us speechless, to say the least. We truly hope you will enjoy this episode. If that is the case, and when you're thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our only request to you. The only way we can get more and more amazing guests like Bob and get more people to learn about treasury is thanks to you. So if you enjoy what you hear and maybe learn a thing or two, please consider following the show, leaving a review, or sharing this episode to help others discover it too. And with all that being said, please welcome Bob Stark. Bob Stark.
1: Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show. So, we want to touch on AI and Treasury, uh, something that is a huge buzzword in the world at the moment, and it's only a matter of time until Treasury um, also joins the hype of this revolution in technology. So, could you take us through what are the existing and potential use cases of AI and Treasury at the moment? Like, starting at what's actually done today, but take it like as far as sci-fi will let us imagine Treasury could ever reach with AI. <laughs>
2: Like the way you asked that, there's a lot of people that have a new imagination based on the proliferation of generative AI and chat GPT over the past year. But before we get to all that fun, let's go backwards a little bit because the origins of, I say AI, I almost want to say AI in quotes. I hate it when people do that, but I just did it anyways. AI, almost its origins in treasury really go back to what is really rules-based automation. And it's the whole quest to how can I automate more of what I do today? So we've seen some of these burgeoning technologies like RPA, robotic process automation, which dare say some people call AI—a whole different conversation on that. But we'll just say for simplicity, we saw a lot of organizations look at what can I do with RPA to effectively connect systems, processes, even platforms that weren't connecting already. So that's where we saw where vendors were maybe doing it. You had maybe your SAP and Oracle and you didn't have a connected ecosystem. And as a result, what happened is that you needed some sort of additional automation. That's where we entered things like RPA. You would have IT groups that said, oh, here's a bot. And then suddenly Treasury started having access to bots. And then we saw this wave of RPA enter in Treasury. Very positive thing. Like, I don't say anything bad about that, except that it's not AI. And so you would find these bots could only do what you asked it to. Now, maybe it can log into sap or oracle find your perfect accounts payable or accounts receivable aging reports something you could use in your cash forecast create that file export be able to then make it available to your treasury system have the treasury system either it's api or some sort of custom routine to import process and then view and that series of steps rpa was really good for but we all know with dumb automation or programmatic automation it only will do what you tell it to do, and it's not able to learn from anything. Certainly wasn't able to do anything with that data that you weren't able to predict. So take from that, we will call it the very far left of the AI continuum, my opinion, off the continuum, but some people will say it's the very far left. We get into more machine learning. And machine learning, what's been around in Treasury, I don't know, I'm going to say five years, I'm sure I got checked by someone that says, no, it's been six and a half or seven or eight or whatever. But let's just say, it's been five-ish years, and in its very infant state, in its early state, we were seeing it for very structured data, so data that was very organized and allowed us to make very simple conclusions, such as, let's look at accounts receivable as an example. Here's what a accounts receivable data, like here's what their, our ERP system said in terms of our AR, and we think, hmm, we can probably do better than that based on some of the history and clearing patterns that we knew about in treasury, such as this customer doesn't pay on time, this customer doesn't pay in full, they short pay or whatever sort of things are going on within the receivable side. As a result, we may make some adjustments over the clearing date and the amount from a cash forecast perspective. We may say it's going to happen a different time and it's going to be in a different amount. And as a result, we make that slight adjustment to our receivables forecast. That's something that's existed for Handful of years now, and it's basic machine learning. Nothing wrong with it. Like even today, you ask a treasurer, and we could, and they will say, Oh, I don't have that. That sounds very interesting. Like it's still a little bit of new age. And I think, you know, this goes to your question of what are we seeing today? Well, we're seeing some technology that has been there for a little while, but we're not seeing it fully implemented, even for that basic use case. Now, let me throw another use case at you because cash forecasting is almost too easy. Let's talk about fraud, payments fraud specifically. In payments fraud, the way that we like to compose, I like to call it a a payments journey. So when I say a payments journey, what I mean is that it originates, whether it's treasury, initiates in the AP system, you know, Oracle, SAP, NetSuite, Microsoft, wherever. It's initiating somewhere. Then there's a journey for it to get to the bank. And yes, some people will say, oh, it doesn't need to go to a bank anymore because there's a variety of different, you know, we'll call it payment networks. Fine. But in the end, we'll just call it simple ERP to bank. In that ERP to bank journey, there's a number of things that need to happen. One of those is screening against a set of rules or scenarios that you want built in to your, we'll call it compliance or governance process into that payment journey. So the examples, these aren't AI related, but they're just part of that payment journey. A lot of organizations like to do sanction list screening before it gets sent to the bank. That's a wonderful example because typically you just let the bank worry about it. But these days, we're finding that there's more of an interest in being able to understand is this payment on a sanction list or is the beneficiary of the payment on a sanction list, yes or no? Same thing with bank account ownership. You know, I want to validate that what's in my payment instruction actually is owned by the vendor that I think I'm paying in the case of a third party payment. So these are just typical things of the payment journey that are very just, you know, check a database, do a validation, you know, use systems like LexisNexis, GAIA, et cetera, that most treasurers are pretty familiar with. In the AI part, we probably have more of custom or at least more specific scenarios that a customer would have. So let's just look at maybe something as simple as is if it's a duplicate payment, maybe it's the same amount in the same week. We should probably pull that out and have a little check you know, just a little, put a little quarantine, uh, have a review and make sure we actually have human eyes on it as opposed to just processing in a machine automated way. There might be other things. So let's just say we had a normal regular type of payment sequence, maybe it's weekly to that particular vendor or as monthly, or whatever the sequence was. And what we're trying to do is say, if there's anything outside of that scenario, like perhaps it's just, yeah, it's this week's payment to them. Or is this month's payment to them, but it's just a little bit more? Maybe it's double the amount. Maybe it's 50% bigger, whatever the threshold. Some sort of governance around that that just says, this doesn't look normal. Now, if we think of AI, we don't need AI for some of those things. We can programmatically just use rules-based to say, if it's 50% bigger payment than normal, check it, or whatever the threshold might be. Or if you know our business typically is in North America, you know, Canada, U.S., Mexico, as an example, then, and this is a payment that's going to I don't know North Korea just for fun. Then maybe that's something we want to yank out because it's not in those three countries we typically do business in. These are the sorts of scenarios that are very predictable and you can program. What's not so predictable is I'm going to call it more pattern based. And is there enough about this payment that deviates from prior behavior? And that's where we get into. AI yeah, at its infant level, machine learning, maybe more cognitive AI, like a little bit more structured, uh, where we're not actually looking at a certain field, we're just looking at the overall behavior. What we've been able to do is say we've been able to train it, especially if we've never seen fraud in our organization. We were able to train this as in here's what a good payment looks like. Now we haven't had fraud or we haven't had very much of it. We can't train it what a fraudulent payment looks like, so we have to kind of train it as good. Not good, which sounds very double negative, and I totally appreciate that when I say it. But you know, I think we know what we mean. There is that it is important to be able to use almost like an adversarial approach, which is a technique in in, in data and artificial intelligence, to be able to identify what's a not good payment in addition to all of these different compliance checks and rules that I would have put in. And so, what it gives us in a payments journey is it gives us. We have our sanction list. Let's just pretend that was a thing that we wanted to do. We have our bank account ownership validation verification. We have our other sorts of scenarios, such as we don't pay vendors in North Korea. I'm picking on them today, but I'm just going to. Uh, we also have other scenarios, such as it's a regular payment, and this is an irregular, some sort of characteristic, which again, are all programmatic, and there's a variety of those. Most organizations have dozens of those in their payment policy. Just scenarios that would maybe be something we need to look further at. And then we add on that layer of artificial intelligence to identify in total, but also in general, which I think is the bigger important piece here. In general, does this align with the types of payments and the behavior of those payments that we're typically used to sending? And I like to use this example because it allows us to understand Here's examples where we use APIs to vendors like GuyAct, LexisNexis, microsoft all these ones that the banks use as well. And then here's examples of rules-based automation, which is very infant and certainly works in a nice scenario, but it has its limitations. And then here's where the continuum progresses so that we actually see the role of artificial intelligence in addition to these other types of technology. I know it's a very exhaustive way to kind of back into that answer, but that's what Treasury needs to think about when we look at what are the use cases for this? How can this help us? You need to understand, well, what doesn't it do? Or what doesn't it, artificial intelligence, what does AI not need to do for us that can be solved in different ways to then be very specific about the role of AI for things like payments or cash forecasts?
1: I didn't hear the sci-fi answer though, Bob. I think it was a great overview of like rule-based automation all the way to like you know, what we could, what we are seeing today and the areas where it's already interesting to implement and then the principally apply to it. But shoot for the moon here. What's the, assume you could have a general AI, which I think most people today know is is the North Star where AI is trying to go, but most people say will never reach, etc. What could a treasury department achieve with something as far as that or just one step before?
2: Well, I think we can do many steps. So yes, let's dive into that. So if you look at our North Star, I think it's fair to say moved in the past 12 months. Even as we're going to the recording this, you know, later in the summer, what we saw at the end of 2022 was this rise of chat GPT. And now there's a whole, we'll call it category, generative AI and large language models this has changed the way that every treasurer that I work with, and even CFOs that are starting to get more involved as sort of chief data officers (informal title, but nonetheless involved in this management and having a data strategy for finance), they're starting to realize AI was it was this far away. I know it's hard to show visually, but you get the idea. It was it was we were, there's some distance to where we were and AI, and no one—I don't say no one, but very few—really had a good assessment and understand, you know, what can AI do for me right now? You know, the basic examples that we just went through, people would understand that. But even then, they might not have been implementing it. Chat GPT suddenly right in front of us. Anyone literally could do it. You can just type in a question and it gives you an answer and you think, wow, that was wonderful. Now I can ask. And your brain starts working in terms of what could I do with this conversational type tool? which is almost like you said, you know, what's one step away? What's, what's the first uh, vault for we can use? Well, the first thing forward is to leverage the benefit of large language models and the automation that a chat GPT or generative AI allows. And what that would be is introduce that level of conversation into your treasury platforms. So as an example, ask, you know, if you're using Power BI or Click or Tableau, you know, asking that, why is my cash forecast wrong? Ask your treasury system, well, what's going on here? What's the explains this variance? When is the right time to go into the market and borrow? Depending on the large language model and the intelligence behind the scenes, which is still evolving today, you will get some sort of answer, which may be really good, or maybe we'll say room for improvement. But we're now recognizing the use cases become much more crystal clear in our vision. So we can go. I can understand that I could stop using my mouse right now, and I can envision that point where I start asking my treasury system questions. That technology exists today. You know, there's tools. I'm not going to go promote anything that I'm doing at Kariba, but we'll just say there's tools that uh, that allow that to happen, and it's not hard to do using these capabilities. And what that looks like is wherever you're consuming and organizing managed data, we'll call it like analytics is basically the category that I'm talking about, that practice and using analytics to make sense of the mound of data that treasurers have in front of them. You can start using chat GPT and tools like it, whether they're embedded in your system or if they're not embedded in your system, you're just using by API, being able to then get them, you know, the tool, the AI tool, access to your data and start asking questions of it. Tell me what I'm missing here. Tell me what I need to know. Help me find meaning in forecast variance. Why is this a fraudulent transaction? Why did you select this one into my quarantine for further review? You know, these are the sorts of things, never mind just being able to automate and simplify the processing, filtering, and sorting of information. So we'll call that, you know, to your question, what's what's the very next look like? That's what the very next looks like. The next beyond that is where it gets, I think, a bit more interesting because just being able to throw away your mouse and start talking to your treasury system, you know, and I say like really talking to it. I mean, yes, right now you're typing, but we all know how to use Siri and things like that. It's just a moment before you start interacting verbally with it. That gets us somewhere. But it's the automation that you can build in terms of having these tools build the programming To then go to the next level. And it's that plus this concept of the large language model, which really is where we need a lot of evolution. That's where it's still a little bit infant. You know, we look at in ChatGBT, it's a wonderful large language model. Every time we use it, we're training the model to make it bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, this is one would assume the master vision behind what Microsoft wants to do with it is to basically productize it in a way that it could be available to improve your spreadsheets in Excel, improve your PowerPoint. Hey, you know, chat GPT, make my PowerPoint look way better than it does today. Like these sort of next level processing. If we apply that in that same thinking in Treasury, it would be not organizing and understanding or getting access to data, not having it present the data you already have in the system, but take that next level of tell me what I should do with this. Should I hedge this exposure as an example? should I actually borrow right now, given what Powell just said? I'm saying this when we're recording it. Powell probably said something different by the time we publish it. But point is, is that if we're holding on interest rates with the possibility of a little bit higher, what does that mean? Should we buy back our fixed rate debt now at a discount? Should we issue more debt? Should we actually stay short uh, given the shape of the yield curve? These are all decisions that Treasury needs expertise and experience to make with the, lar- the possibility of large language models, that allows us to go into that next level of AI actually giving us recommendations and, scarily enough, if you will, being able to automatically execute those within parameters or boundaries that you've set for it. The technology, in terms of you know what generative AI can do right now, has given us a view to what that looks like. I wouldn't say that every aspect of this technology is quite evolved enough and mature enough to allow CFOs and treasurers, who are obviously very analytical, very numbers oriented, and also very precise, to be comfortable in letting AI do that right now. But I think we've all seen in the past 12 months, oh, I can see now where this is going. And obviously, you know, I'm part of a vendor in terms of providing treasury solutions, we saw the exact same thing. And it was immediately obvious to us what customers would rightly expect of their treasury systems in the very near future. They expect conversational, they expect extra layer of automation, and they ultimately expect maybe through APIs or maybe embedded right in the platform, the ability to leverage these in to drive more data-driven decision-making. So I know there's a lot to unpack there, but that's kind of what the next looks like. And as I said, you know, you asked about what's that North Star? I don't think that was the North Star 12 months ago before really CHAP-GPT became a bit more democratized. But it's certainly every financial team, whether it's Treasury, whether it's AP, whether it's controllers, whether it's the IT team within finance, which by the way, gets really excited about this stuff, especially when they're trying to support their Treasury partners and say – hey, you know, we really need this data lake. We really need these tools because we can start building AI into that. They're all thinking that way now.
0: Makes, makes a lot of sense, Bob. So what will be, what will be the little name of my Kiribati system when I'll be able to, to talk to him or her actually? If it's not Siri, what, what should I say? Hey. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question. I, I think that there's definitely room
2: for branding. There's definitely room for marketing in this. I think in the end, whatever technology you're using for the actual, we'll call it the speech part of it, the interaction, the engagement part of it, underlying it is going to be these layers of generative AI tools. Generative AI is, is absolutely that future. The fun part that I like anyway is that AI on its own is it's really nice and it's a fun conversation and it'll entertain us, obviously, through this podcast. But it's, it's really about having a data strategy and having AI be able to be the recipient of that data. When I say the recipient of that data, I mean that we first need to make sure that we have APIs. APIs unify data around the enterprise. It allows us to have this pool of data that AI can then be, You know, wow, AI, here I am. I get to jump on this data and start learning, whether it's structured, unstructured, both. Uh, that's where we're going to go with that. Then. The APIs, this kind of gets back to your, you know, is it a Siri embedded in your treasury system? Well, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it's Siri. Maybe it's, you know, BARD, I guess, is Microsoft or Google, sorry. Whatever it is, um, whether it's third-party technology, whether it's basically proprietary technology, we know that's not too far away from us. I mean, Right now, the pieces are all there, even if they're not composed in a way that most treasury teams are, they're not really talking to their systems. Whether it's ERP, whether it's their apps, whether it's the trading portal, its FXL, 360T, it's their you know, RFP software, I mean, there's a variety of tools. You know, there's dozens of software applications that treasurers use. They're not composing all those pieces just yet. But, and that's where I say APIs are kind of a critical one, and I like to talk about them a lot, because you need to have a data strategy, and it needs to be based on what APIs are doing. And I don't mean for things like bank connectivity. Like, that's a whole different discussion. Like, whether you use APIs to connect to your banks or whether you use host to host, whether you use Swift. I'm not really fussed on that, whatever the bank supports, what the bank supports. I'm talking about in terms of having your data. I want instant visibility into my cache. I want instant visibility into data surrounding the cache uh, that comes from other parts of the organization. And I want that as a single repository so that I can ask the questions I want to ask either. My voice, typed, using your mouse and keyboard, whatever means you want to use. So I can actually decide, here's what I want my algorithms, my artificial intelligence to learn from. APIs are the critical thing. If you don't have APIs, you don't have all the data you need. You certainly don't have it instantly enough to start having any sort of, I'll call it real-time treasury processing. You're going to be embargoed if you're not getting enough information available to you. So the actual you know, pieces of it, Kariba's platform, I mean, I can just say right now, it will be called Kariba, but and whatever we embed is going to be called Kariba something. But candidly, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to use third-party technology. Like every app that exists, um, you know, Treasury is its own little ecosystem, but in fairness, it's part of a composite technology that surrounds the ERP as well. So these, these composable technologies, you're going to be utilizing third-party things. Like you're going to use the equivalent of a Siri or a BART or something like that. You're going to use algorithms that are not completely provided by the vendor. You're going to use those through API as part of your journey. You know, just like we do on the payment fraud side. You know, the examples where we talked about the payment journey. One of those, you know, I mentioned like Gaiap, which is a very popular platform, um, you know, early warning. That's the one that is going to be utilized uh, by, by banks and probably by a lot of corporates. API needs to make that happen in a real-time view. So APIs are going to provide some elements of this technology. There's going to be IT groups that say, hey, we got our AI strategy all figured out for you, Treasury. All we need is to make sure that the Treasury system, the Treasury platform, is API, like open API, so that we can make sure that all of this scripting is happening all of this engagement is happening, the data is flowing in and out, so that whatever we are doing, whatever we need, can connect and can process in real time. That has to be the minimum base level standard. Without having that minimum base level, then you're going to be sitting there thinking, okay, I don't have the data I need, or I don't have all of the data I need, which is you know, a partial data problem is is a problem, because suddenly you're not giving it the full picture, you're not benefiting from some of the learning and application and generation of new data sets or augmenting the existing data that
0: you really needed to do. Yeah, and I like that you bring this topic actually. So I understand that API will be a major enabler of a powerful AI supported and power treasury. What are the other challenges, if not limitations of AI in general, but I guess what's what we are the most interested by is in treasury. What are the challenges and then the limitations around this?
2: Yeah, so I'll reiterate the first one because it is the most important by far. And that's that you need to have a data strategy where you're very clear on what is your AI being trained on. Because in order to train it, you know, typically, and I'll go back to sort of the more traditional machine learning type of algorithm, you need at least five, ten thousand. 10,000 data points to be able to train it to have reasonable you know it's kind of like a survey you need a reasonable sample size to make deductions ai needs that sample size in order to make reasonable uh, decisions or agitations about what you expect to see so that's first and foremost in data strategy if you don't have a data strategy that's a challenge in itself but we'll just park that and say then you need your systems and your tech stack to align to that data strategy So what is your, as an example, what's your treasury system of record? For some, it's going to be your treasury management system. For others, it's going to be your ERP. For some, it's going to be both. Fair enough. Um, Sometimes you're going to have a data warehouse or a data lake. Um, For some, that's only a data cabin. And as a result, you need to think through what is my source of record? Because what I don't want to be doing is having all these shallow processes. I want to make sure that everything is concentrated so that when I'm teaching it, when I'm receiving the benefits of that, I'm seeing, let's just say it's like cash and liquidity information in one spot so I can have the best available to it. So that's a necessity, but it's also a limitation if you don't have that data strategy completely sorted out. And a lot of organizations don't because that idea of data strategy used to be more IT-centric. Treasurers didn't use to speak that language. CFOs didn't used to you know be storytellers and data officers. Now they do. Treasury needs to fall in line with that, and sometimes that's a bit of a shift. In terms of another challenge, and this is actually a big one, especially when we're talking about generative AI, we have to think about security of our data. And it's not just the protection of the data. I mean, I think, I'm not saying that's obvious. The concept we need to protect our data is an obvious statement. The how to do that, generally speaking, if you have your data strategy and your tech stack aligned to that, then you know what systems you should be using. You know what the minimum standard of governance and controls should be. And you have, you know we'll just say, the audit and controls to ensure that this aligns with our governance and our compliance internally. Presuming you have all that set up, that's not the security that we're talking about. If we don't have all that set up, we're definitely needing to have that conversation. But if assuming that you're checked off on that, Then it's around the security of the information, and this is where ChatGPT and tools like it, generative AI, they have a ways to go before, maybe not ways, that makes it sound like it's years. They have some room to grow. We'll say it that way. I want to put a timestamp on this one, that we need almost closed language models. Large language models, by definition, are more open. If you use, say, ChatGPT, Tell me a treasury policy. Tell me, you know, what I should do for disaster recovery or business continuity. And it gives you an answer. Maybe you feed a little bit more information to get a more precise answer. You are helping you know build that large language model, rightly so. You know, this is open AI. It's that name for a reason. It's open source, right? So that which is fine. Nothing wrong with that inherently, except that the moment you want to start feeding data into it, a lot of treasurers have recognized or been told to recognize that maybe this is a little bit too sensitive information to give this tool, which can then integrate it into its overall data management processing and advice that it gives when you ask it questions. Like what is a good cash flow variance as an example? What is the right level of balances to hold in my accounts? How do I optimize, you know, earnings credit in American concept versus what I need to invest in money markets. like These are the sorts of things that ultimately you would expect to be asking your AI model, but you almost don't want to disclose too much. You don't want to be saying, well, we have this much cash, which may not be publicly available information, and give me the right strategy to invest that. That's where we need a little bit more security around the data so that we feel comfortable that what we are asking it is still privately held. And we're not quite there yet. So as an example, I'll give a very Crebocentric answer. We use ChatGPT for a lot of different things. We obviously play with it in our in our dev environments in a obviously a very controlled way. So we're not uh, letting it access client data or anything like that. All sorts of the, the right walls exist. And so we play with that to understand what is actually happening here so that we're very conscious when we fully integrate that in the production world that we've set the right parameters, set the right expectations and communicate how it works. So we'll just call that, we'll, we'll call it our sandbox area. What we don't do with chat CPT is any sort of privileged information never sees that tool yet because we don't feel confident that it's ready for that and we don't feel confident in terms of how that data gets used. Anything that's public facing, so as an example, like our marketing team will utilize generative AI chat GPT for translations. And they're fantastic for that. And so as a result, those translations, uh, because it's stuff that's publicly available on our website, it's no concern if they say, oh, that was a wonderfully bitten, you know, written bit of text. Let's just use that next time someone asks about how to translate, you know, this to Spanish, German, or French. These are the sorts of things you almost have to expect that it's part of the public domain. And that's why I say when I say security, it's not just Can someone hack into this flow of information from system to system? Uh, That is important, but it's the, what happens with my data? Do I actually see control of my data? And am I comfortable with what that may or may not look like until there's more maturity and more uh, provision around that aspect? So that's probably, I could probably say it in different words, but in the end, data is important and we need to be sensitive to it and we need to understand what that's providing for us.
1: Can I, ask, can I challenge that a little bit? So you, you mentioned that um, AIs would be able to ask you questions on policy. What should I do with this? And, and what's the right way to address this? Even humans answering that question are often just providing an opinion, right? Different treasurers will come up with different strategies for the same uh, industry, for the same company even, uh, or for different roles, right? It's It's usually a opinion based as well um how good can ai be if humans can't can only provide an opinion what do you think of you well that's i could do that's the, that's the they have is, more data is, data. is
2: is this advice uh which is the world that we're waiting into right now is this better i mean it, it's not even a treasury question specifically it's more of like i'll just use the translation example does it do a better translation than let's say into french or spanish than someone is native speaking able to do? Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, it takes an aggregation of, we'll call it opinions, and generates an output based on that. Is that better? In the person's judgment, maybe yes, maybe no. I look at that, you know, my French is fine, but not perfect by any means. I'm not a native speaker. So I look at that translation, I think, no, oh, that's pretty good. Uh, that'll work. Someone that natively speaks that will say, Oh, no, no, needs to be this instead of that. Same thing with a treasury policy. The way that I would look at managing uh, excess cash is I might have a much more conservative view in terms of retaining cash balances because I don't trust my forecast. That's going to fuel the way you look at maintaining cash in your accounts. It may, the way you look at cross border payments and the ability to fund pools um, around the globe and your ability to do that at speed and mobilize that and maybe it didn't work one time, you know, a couple years ago so you're a little biased by that experience these are all things that form our opinions of what we should do what we see right now is that this offers an opinion, I liked your word on that it's a recommendation, it's an opinion that you can choose to use or not use And it's just the same thing, right? You can have it write an essay for you if you're in college. You can choose to use it, maybe at some risk, potentially, now that people are onto that. But you can choose to use it or not. Same thing with the translation, same thing with the data, same thing with any sort of interpretation, whether quantitative, empirical, or more, we'll call it language-based. That is the biggest question. Do I want to rely on this output? We're early on in you know, the chat, GPT, generative AI, large language models. Very early. These large language models, I mean, OpenAI came out, they said, well, they were only current in 2021. Um, now they're becoming more current because we are basically updating it for them. You know, good on us. <laughs> they should be thanking us for it as opposed to charging us. But point is, is that that still, it's just an accumulation of information that gives you maybe more of a socialized response. You may not want the socialized response. You may want it as a, hmm, that's interesting. You know, just like if you read something on Twitter or X, you know, about something very contentious. I may not like what everyone's saying. I may not like what the aggregate answer is. I have my own opinion. Same thing with Treasury. So I would say it's a data point, maybe something that you utilize, but that's part of where the evolution needs to come. That evolution needs to be where we know what its role is. We are confident in the data that it used to get to whatever conclusion, whether language conclusion, like an advice recommendation, or maybe a calculation. And we need to then understand exactly how do we want to use that? Do we want the full scope of automation? I mean, to your point, we could automate everything, but do we want to? Is that safe? Does that align with our opinions and expertise around what the governance should be? These questions probably weren't asked and haven't been formulated enough, which is part of the learning that we need to do with these tools. That's why I say, is Treasury ready to fully adopt generative AI? No, because partly it's the data, partly it's the open close of the models. And then the third part is exactly what you said do I think this opinion is better than what I can come up with myself? And if the answer is anything other than a resounding yes 100% of the time, then you need some sort of validation or checkpoint, which means you're not ready for complete end-to-end automation with AI.
1: I like that insight. I like the fact that you said it's an aggregation of opinions and therefore can probably, as, as we understand it today and how we understand it going today, uh, would only ever be as good as an aggregation of opinions, perhaps. You can bias it towards being more conservative versus being more aggressive, uh, using your FX for just being risk-averse, as opposed to speculation in the market. You could probably put some parameters in there to sway it one way or the other, but it will also be aggregation. You're never, as far as I understand it today, never going to be able to get a like an outlier, a new-to-the-world opinion that perhaps a human might be able to come up with. That's not the way the L the large language models today are set up. Is that right way to summarize what you said? I
2: think it's a very good way to summarize it, and and I agree wholeheartedly that we're in in this journey. And as of now, if you look at generative AI is predicated on, on large language models. The large language model is either too large or not large enough based on the use case that we're talking about. That needs to be solved for. And so we're going to see a whole set, and I was going to say not, it's not an industry, it's industries, plural, built upon what can this concept of generative AI be able to deliver to us. That set is going to be, you know, exactly as, as we're saying here, is I need something that's an outlier. I need something that's a, and this is very vague language, but I need an aggressive play to reduce my cost of hedging. I want to actually look at things like parametric var. I want to look at what everyone else does. These are all different inputs that you can ultimately train to be able to drive what the output's going to be. Like, I hate to use that analogy, like garbage in, garbage out, because it's so obvious in itself. And it really, it doesn't tell us everything we need to know about how we manage our data. But I will use that because how. it helps us remind or it reminds ourselves that what you train it with is should be very, very intentional in terms of what you expect it to do. So you may say from an FX standpoint, I know how to hedge. I know how to use a forward contract. I know how to hedge Euro against USD. It's not rocket science. I learned it in school and I still do it today in real life. Like, fair enough. Tell me my worst case scenario. Maybe that's the way you want to use ai to be able to tell you what's the worst that can happen if and and then train even on a scenario which is maybe more an option-based scenario maybe you're comfortable using spots forwards and and swaps but you haven't in real life used options you just remember them from college now we want to start using them tell me how i protect myself because this is the guidance this is the cash flow guidance that we need to meet for our organization right cfo's ceo gave this guidance Quarterly ahead of time, here's what our cash flow needs to be. We have a lot of, say, currency volatility to affect that. And we need to be in this band. How do I make sure that we're in this band? That's the kind of expectation we don't have today. I mean, just thinking, how do I ask a chatbot that and expect a good answer today? But let's just say, fast forward six months, nine months, 12 months from now, it's not out of the realm of expectation that it can give me some guidance of what I should be doing perhaps even a full-fledged recommendation. And so that's where we need to, it almost becomes us as consumers, what do we want out of it will help us decide what we invest in it. And it may be certain types of tools. It may be certain types of vendors that are working in a certain direction. It might be certain sets of we need this data, but we don't need this data. You know, It doesn't matter what everyone else in the world does we need to make sure we're it's specific to us at ABC organization. I'm going to call it maturity in our thinking that we're just starting to delve into now. And if I dare say, it's also the fun part <laughs> because that's what is exciting about AI. You know, I, you talk to, I talk to Treasurer's about data strategy. I want to say 50% is probably more like 30, 70 a smaller percentage say oh that's really exciting i'm glad you said that because no, you know, no one talks to us about our data strategy they talk to us about some sort of outcomes hey can you should hedge more hey you should borrow more hey you should you know have more balances or payments through our bank like you know these sorts of conversations that treasurers have but you start talking about data strategy they start yeah i really want to think about that the others are i don't want to think about that but i do want to think about these outcomes you need to kind of balance of what is it that I should be asking? What is it that I expect? And in I said that in reverse order intentionally, because you need to start with just like, you know, when you're forecasting, where do I expect to be? What am I trying to accomplish with this? And then work your way backwards and plan into that. This is the same thing is that you need to be able to understand what do I expect AI to do for me? You know, and, and your points around what opinion do I expect? What do I not expect? Like just what is the what is the net result that's going to be a good thing and a positive use, and then figure out what that accumulation of tools, data, and collaboration internally to get there is going to be. Awesome. And
0: Bob, on our journey there, on our journey to shooting for the moon and the stars, on our journey to AI, I'd like to touch upon some features that we've seen being developed by Kiriba. and there is a, a large language model for treasury requests using the Kiriba API that came out a few months ago now. There was a, a blog post about it and an interesting video tutorial about it. Maybe before diving into this, um, can you, and in order to make sure that we, Sam and I and our audience, understand everything as well, can you explain as quickly as that's a, a word and an acronym that you use quite a lot, uh, what an API is and how does it help Treasurer?
2: Sure. Yeah, great question on, on APIs. Cause I, I actually really enjoy talking about it because no one talks, I just not say no one talks, but everyone talks about APIs and it's just real time, you know, real time payments or instant payments, things like that. But for our conversation, what an API is, is it's the, I mean, beside the fact it's an application programming interface, but put that aside and say what it, what it means is that it's the ability to transfer data instantly, which is nice, but in and out of the system. So just by saying, oh, it's another way of connecting systems together and be able to interface data on its own doesn't sound a lot different than anything we've seen. I mean, it just sounds like, oh, isn't that what FTP does and file transfer and heck, even copy and paste. <laughs> Control-C, Control-V accomplishes that sometimes. But the beauty of the API is that a couple different things, one, just in its true nature, it, it is in more of than communication. It's programmatic in the sense that you're building to a standard. So it's not like, oh, I'm great. I need to interface these systems during this treasury implementation. It's more like this API exists and this allows us to, in, in advance, build these two uh, or build a connection between these two systems. So I have a connector that's allowed to pull from here, send to here, or vice versa. So what does that mean for treasury? It means a couple of different things one is that if your platform and this is more of a Kriba context if your platform is open when i say the open api basically means that you have published api specifications for all these fields of information within your platform so that someone whether it's third party whether it's you as the vendor um, whether it's another vendor that you want to work with um, so it could be consultant it could be vendor it could be yourselves uh, as a provider can build a connector to something else. So for example, like if we're talking the banking side, you know, whether it's B of A or Chase or HSBC or there's obviously a lot of banks I'm not going to go name them all to make everyone happy but, you know, all, they all publish, uh, I shouldn't say they all, there's a, there's a percentage of them right now that publish API which someone like a Kariba can go and connect to. More of them are coming online and so, you know, by the end of 2023 it should be at least 50% higher than it is right now double that for the year after etc like this is a good adoption so they've published an API, we build a connector and it automatically pulls information just like a FTP script did, just like if you were over uh, Swift that, same sort of thing then that same API concept applies to the ERP, we already connected to the ERPs using file transfer this allows us to do the same thing but more on a pre-built and more instant um, and secure basis, so we'll just say it's the same thing but a little bit better In my opinion, anyway, the real value comes is where we start opening up to all these other use cases. So when we talked at the start of our conversation about payment journey, being able to add all these different apps, third-party apps that have nothing to do with us, um, maybe nothing to do with a bank. They're a fintech that came up with a great idea of, I want to provide maybe additional analysis, provide AI. I have a cool little machine learning or uh, generative AI algorithm that's very good that treasurers want. I want to be able to you know check sanction lists, whatever it is the the scenario, the API allows that third party, almost the marketplace ecosystem network to build out. Then, and this is the part that I think is the even the best of it, which I think gets the genesis to your question. In addition to all those use cases, it allows any of your customers, in our case, to build their own script into it or have someone do it for them. But a lot of them, the IT groups, especially the finance IT groups look at that and say, well, we'd like to you know, upload payments. We want to download cash forecasts. We want to build our own data lake. We want to use your API to, let's just say, you know, get stuff into Excel so we can do cool stuff there. I, I just want to make, have access to the data in the system that you're providing for me so I can do something with it. And that's, even though it sounds very vague in general, that's the promise what API allows is it it's, sir, there's the pre built connectors. Those are really important and they're generally a big improvement over what you saw before. But it's the openness that suddenly this platform can be available, the data in it specifically, to a variety of other systems or use cases. Uh, and I say use cases like it might be a data lake. You know, it was difficult. Like, how do I you know, build a data lake? Well, great. You can access everything in the Creeba platform that allows you to build that data lake. And then from that data lake, well, you can do all sorts of fun analytics, uh, cutting and slicing, you can train it for certain uh, use cases for AI. There's a lot of different stuff that you could potentially do on your own now that you have open access to your information. I know when I say open access, it sounds like open banking, but there's a reason why that word is used is because it suddenly allows you more, I was going to say open access, use that word open too many times, but whatever, we'll go with it. It allows you that access of your own information that you can either have something done for you more easily or you can do it yourself. And there's this element of self-service to manage and utilize and leverage your own data and be able to do more things with it. So to answer your question on APIs, that's it, it means all of those things. So it's connectivity to banks, connectivity to ERPs, connectivity to third-party applications, which didn't even exist before APIs, and now obviously connectivity to your own ecosystem and your own data environment. So it's all of those things, which why does it matter for AI? It goes back to that data strategy. You don't have a data strategy until you actually have your data. And APIs are the critical tech to be able to get to that. And then that's why, obviously, from our whole development, then we can, you know, once we have that, then we can start building fun things like integrate generative AI into our applications, um, utilizing APIs, be able to then use an Excel add-in that allows you to then just play like, hey, ChatGPT, do something with my data if you want to do those sorts of things. The open API allows you to do those sorts of things.
0: Awesome. And Bob, maybe you already answered it partially, but let's say I'm I'm a complete newbie in AI, so please break, break it down for me. If we merge this technology, this tech, the API with LLM and let's take the use case of Kiribar for now, how, I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about what it is, how it has evolved since, because it was a few months ago, so maybe it's something completely new and even better now, but like, how do you marry this LLM for treasury requests using the Kiribar API? How does it work?
2: Yeah, it's actually, there's two pieces of this to make it very simple. It's still like a, uh, I would say, early days um, because of those restrictions that we talked about. Large language models are still, you know, we're saying we're saying they're either too large or they're not large enough. In the case of treasury data, because treasury data is very sensitive, it's almost too large, too open. So, in in a sandbox environment, we can do anything, Um, and I say anything as in you can immediately have that engagement. You know, when we first talked about, oh, what chat GPT is, ask it a question. You know, type in your keyboard and then, you know, access by voice. You can do that with your treasury system. You can do that right now. The challenge is, is that many of our customers, as we worked with them, expressed the exact same question that we went through a few moments ago. Do I want my information exposed to this model in its relatively early adoption state? And the consensus was no. So we're not doing that yet. Capabilities there can absolutely do it. You want to throw away your mouse and your keyboard and start talking to your treasury system? Yeah, we could support that today. And that's the kind of thing that you were talking about. APIs allow that to happen. The AI embedded into that environment, it works. Beautiful thing. It's a lot of fun to play with. But in terms of production, production needs more maturity in the technology in terms of the large language model and the security and governance around the data, in terms of, do I want, like as an example, do I want to ask the simple question, why was my cash flow variance this high? Or am I going to meet my cash flow targets with the dollar doing what it's doing in the currency markets or the euro doing what it's doing? Like these are the sorts of things with rates, with some external data, bringing in some internal stuff do i want the large language model to have that information overwhelmingly treasurers say not yet they're very excited about the automation yes i want to talk to it i said i want to ask it questions yes i don't want to have to click on reports and dashboards and be able to lasso that information be able to drill down three levels because the cfo is asking something i'd rather just hey cfo ask the treasury system your question directly and need to answer that's what i want as a treasurer but i'm not quite ready For the exposure of information that is required to allow that to happen. So I've seen some examples in real life where people have built ChatGPT into it. I've also heard from the same people that are exposed to that to say it seemed like a little bit too risky for us. In treasury, we're not in the business of adding risk. You know, not as a vendor, not as a treasury professional. We're not at that point. There's some parts of the organization that absolutely take on risk very normal. In treasury though, we have to, as we know, mitigate risk. You know, like what are the three things we do in treasury, right? We see, right? We want to see everything. We want visibility. We protect (laughs) right up with there. I want to see my forecast, but oh man, I need to protect it. And in fact, most people will kind of put that in reverse order. Protect and then see it, which I know is hard because you got to see it first, you know, to protect, but you get the idea see protect grow which is basically treasury's mandate and cfo's mandate too protect is right there we have to be risk mitigators and so as a result it as the technology evolves it won't be long before everyone can have this as a reality as a mainstay but it's not there yet and i look forward to that because it's a lot of fun but You need to have that governance. Governance in Treasury is the most paramount thing. I mean, it's why everyone still looks at the SOC 2, Type 2, as like the gold standard that every Treasury vendor needs to provide, because they need to ensure that my entire product, including the AI, is part of this and has been assessed by a third party so that we're not doing anything from an audit and control standpoint that is outside of the governance that we have agreed with our auditors and our internal IT that we are signing up for. So that's a long answer to your relatively short and really insightful question, but it shows where we are today. The technology, early days, it shows a lot of promise, but there's some challenges that need to be overcome. I mean, we could have swapped this out and talked about cryptocurrency and blockchain, And some of the same things, you know, the general statements we're making, it's got a lot of room to go. There needs to be some governance. There needs to be risk mitigation. I need to ensure that the volatility is not going to affect my liquidity and my ability to to protect value. Swap in your favorite technology word, AI, blockchain, crypto. It almost kind of sounds similar for a reason is because we need to ensure the governance is there. So yes, we're having a great time playing with it, and we love doing that. The AI that we've introduced into our platform is very controlled, and it's also you know organically developed by us so that we're in a position where we can provide complete assurance to our clients that there is no risk being added. I don't think there's anything more important than that when you're dealing with you know, in the real world with customers. When you're playing in a in a sandbox environment, boy, well, I have a lot of fun with all that. But you just need to be mindful of the bigger picture and holistically what is it that I'm signing up for.
1: I'm a little too young to to be there for it, unfortunately, Bob. I'm guessing Treasury Departments just said the same thing when email came along, and they had to stop using uh, paper and hard copies to to transfer data between. Themselves and the CFOs like, how can I put it on the internet and send it over to the CFO? That's that's insane. I
2: know I love that statement because th- there's a certain <laughs> irony in that. Is that where it's probably not as much now, but let's say rewind just a handful of years, and a lot of the spear phishing fraud and payment fraud attempts, and a lot of them would be you know started by an email. So there's sort of this irony that. uh how we introduce the risk via email. Now, I've never heard a treasurer say, whoa, 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 back to pen and paper and post-it note. But that said, it, it is kind of an interesting analogy where we do need to appreciate and find a way to manage the risk. I mean, if you think of, you know, this goes more to the API point than the AI, but if you think of APIs and say just something as simple as instant payments, you know, which we're seeing all over, you know, we see FedNow and RPT and, or RCP, sorry, in the in the US, we see a variety of networks. PayNow in Singapore, one of my favorite, because it actually links uh, with some, you know, middleware-ish uh, to other regional networks in the region. So suddenly you have a little bit of cross-border instant payments, which makes me super excited. But you look at that real-time journey, you need to ensure that your processes are caught kind up. Of. And so, you know, I've heard people say real-time payments, real-time fraud. Well, that's really not accurate. But you do need to ensure that if you're adopting instant payments or you're doing things in real time, that your process is also operating at machine speed in real time. This is the same thing. You know, we adapted to email. We figured out, ironically, ChatGPT helps a little bit in this um, or makes it a little bit scarier. If you think of more linguistically complex fraudulent schemes um, through that email, suddenly it's not so hard to see or it's not so easy to catch anymore. Um, we can use ChatGPT to iron some of those things out. But the same thing goes for any process and any technology we're talking about is you're going to do things faster. You need to ensure that your protections are in better place. And so I think, you know, that's, I like the email analogy because it it was fantastic. Yes, treasury got over it eventually. (laughs) And then they said, well, wait a second. See, I told you so. Look, now we're getting fraud attempts by email. So there's going to be a lot of that back and forth with AI. I think any treasury organization, I know some that, that start to use this, but cautiously, there'll probably be at some point a little bit more adoption there, and then there'll be a little bit of a pullback. Like, whoa, wait a second, look, someone, you know, something bad happened. I mean, I hypothesize what that would be. And then we need to retrench and just hold a little bit until we solve that, and then we'll kind of keep going forward. So I, I think if, if I get the, you know, the hidden meaning within your question, which I think is the really important message here is that there is an element of two steps forward, one step. back, And anytime you're risk averse, that is going to be the case. I feel like if you're from a vendor perspective, and that's just, that's what we take our responsibility seriously is that we want to ensure that those are two good steps forward and not trying to do it too quickly so that we innovate ahead of the controls and the protection of the data in the process. You have to think that way first, which is less fun, I would agree, but more important when we're talking about something as sensitive as cash, liquidity, and risk management.
1: So my background was in like implementing technology into different businesses, right? different types of technology. And the, technology, the departments where we came in to try and upgrade their systems, help them innovate, help cost-save through technology, The ones that were more risk-inverse were just inherently further behind uh, in their, let's say, technology maturity. And the ones that were more risky, perhaps they had a few more big collapses every now and then, and there were some big whatevers. But over time, they became much leaner, much faster, and became much more efficient in, in a lot of ways, and safer eventually also. Treasury being inherently a risk avoidance department within the company, well, do you think it will always be a little bit behind? Well like will AI penetrate Treasury last in the in, in the modern company
2: or it's a good quite it's I don't know if it'll be last. It won't be first. <laughs> Which is maybe maybe the answer you're looking for on that, but it won't be first. I don't think it will be very last because I can definitely think of some laggards that are more risk averse than Treasury. But it's a point that's well taken. I mean, I've been in this space for 25 years, and I've seen everything that you just described inside and outside of Treasury. It's a perfectly placed observation because you need to have some trailblazing. You need to be able to put something a little bit ahead to change. You know, the idea of digital transformation. I'm not sure if Treasury still calls it DX, the rest of the company does, but I think Treasury still calls it transformation because it just sounds a little bit more formal that way because they're not necessarily evolved to absolutely go all in on a transformational process. I mean, I look at something as simple as cash forecasting. I'd say 50% of cash forecasts are probably little changed from what they were a decade or two ago. And forget the two decades ago, let's just focus on the last 10 years. What's happened in the last 10 years in terms of availability of information, the ability to connect information, the volatility in the market? I mean, all of us have probably seen some of this roller coaster volatility over the years, but there's a lot of people in Treasury that never saw 2008, 2009 and have no concept in terms of the controls, the regulation, the rate rising that we saw in the past 12 months the volatility in the markets. And I know a lot of that's unprecedented. It's been a roller coaster in the past year. But a lot of people have just seen a very flat, constant world in terms of, say, how do I manage my cash? You know, banks always lend money. And it was pretty cheap. And our cost of capital was always low. Now that's not the case. And, you know, we have the Fed telling us, it's still not going to be the case. <laughs> you know, get used to it, figuratively. And as a result, these are the sorts of things where there is an element of, we can't just do status quo. So I'm not advocating that market volatility and economic uh, you know, trauma are good things, but they do force a little bit different pattern of thinking to your question. And will that unlock a lot of the risk aversion? Not necessarily, but it will force a new way of thinking around how to make decisions in treasury. And that new way of thinking is data-driven every forward-looking organization go to afp conference go to your finance you go to all these particular events and all the sessions are about how do i inject data into my process how do i become more data centric i mean these are you know they're almost buzzwords that get thrown out but people are starting to listen to those to then chip away at the legacy way of doing things that you were talking about so will treasury be first but I think there's, as a strategic partner to the CFO, as the team and then individuals, the treasurer, that realized I get to answer the question of what happens when our customers stop paying us, and say with COVID you know, three years ago and going back to 2020, treasury was asking how many days of liquidity, or they were answering, I should say, how many days of liquidity do we have left, which was asked not by the CFO, sometimes not by the CEO, but sometimes by the board. And so these big questions were being asked, which suddenly put a spotlight on a team that never had a spotlight, they never had a reason to change. All they had, the only time that people noticed them is when something went wrong. And so that's a lot of reinforcement to not change. That paradigm is shifting. And that culture is shifting. And I see more treasures that grew up thinking, I don't have to do the things that were done before. To be successful, I need to put my mark of transformation on this entity and organization. So, yes, I see a shift, but not a complete abandonment of risk aversion. Risk mitigation will always be there, even when it comes to technology adoption. And that's coming from me on the tech side. So my, my wish is that it's a little bit different, but
0: we'll get there. Bob, thank you so much for that. That makes a lot of sense. When we, when we look at most of the surveys um, going out lately, we see that Cash flow forecasting in, is one, if not the top priority of the treasurers. And you just mentioned it with the board, with the CFOs, also of the CFOs and even above there. How can we get AI to power cash flow forecasting when we see that that's the top priority of everybody? So maybe that's where the innovation should be implemented first. What's your take on that?
2: Yeah, no, I like that. And I like getting back to that because it's, uh, it, it's fun to talk about all the, you know, what, what it should be, et cetera. But let's talk practically about, can I, this help me today in treasury? And I think, I feel like the next 12 months look like this for cash forecasting is that there's three things that we need to get better at in forecasting. We need better predictability. We need to be able to generate new information that we may not have today. And then we need automation. It's always automation, right? So we can never have this discussion without the automation. In terms of prediction, here's, here's where we're seeing AI. I want to say right now, but it's also a right now going forward, is the use case is I have information right now. I have data. So that I say I have a forecast. Maybe it's a good forecast. Maybe it's average. Maybe it's exceptional. you ask any treasure professional if their forecast is exceptional, they're going to say yes just because they want to make sure. They don't want to show weakness for good reason. But whatever that, whatever that level of confidence is, There is a confidence interval that you have, speaking uh, super data-centric when I say that. But you have a confidence interval in your forecast. You want it to be better. And this is where AI can really come back. So we talked much earlier on about, about the different ways that we can utilize and learn from our data. Number one is to make that prediction of here's the data I have, here's the data I need. I want to have a much more, like a higher level of confidence in when customers are going to pay us, going back to that receivables example we talked about a while ago. I want to have a better level of confidence around what cash flow is hitting my account compared to what was actually going to, you know, like my ERP told me. So this is when I say predictability is that I have a set of data. You know, I have amount, I have date, I have other categorization information. I want an improved amount and I want an improved date. So that's predictability. Give me, based on everything you've observed in our payment patterns or our receivables patterns or both, whatever category and line item that we're using in our forecast, because each one is going to be treated a little bit differently. Tell me what is this going to look like. Here's the inputs. The inputs just, or an import from my ERP, or an import from the regional CFOs around the organization, wherever you got your data, of course, by APIs, because I think we covered that point. And how do I make this data better? So that's predictability, improve the confidence, make better predictions in my existing data. And the key is existing data. Okay, I have something, I just want to make it better, more usable, so I can actually make more refined decisions. Ideally, in this sort of higher interest rate environment, those decisions are, I leave less cash in the bank doing very little, and I make it more active. Maybe I'm investing in, maybe I'm investing in the organization and not just investing in money market. Maybe I'm doing other things. But the point is, is that having a better understanding of both how much cash do I have right now? How much cash do I have in one week? How much do I have in one month? How much do I expect to have in 12 months? We can provide better guidance. I need a better forecast. I have data existing. I need to improve it. So that's number one. Number two, is a use case that Treasury typically struggles a lot with. That's generating new data. As in, data we don't have. We're not improving anything because we don't have it. I like to use M&A as an example of this. So with mergers and acquisitions, you're acquiring a business, or you might be divesting and spinning one off. Either way, there's something that's different than what you had before. You might have some proxies. Let's just say if you were an organization expanding to a new country, you might have countries that share similar characteristics that we can use as a proxy, but it's not going to be exactly the same. Or you might have, I have sales figures, projected sales figures, I don't have cash flow information, but I do have a relationship in other markets or other years where I could look at the correlation between sales information and cash flow information. I have something is the point that I can use to then create a whole new data set of, when we're talking about cash forecasting, expected cash flows. There's other use cases too, expected payables, expected receivables, uh, how many bank accounts would I need, how many signatories for those bank accounts. You can imagine the world as we get really think about AI can get quite big. But just for the cash forecast, I want to predict how much cash will we generate from this M&A market entry, something that didn't exist before. AI is perfect for this because it allows you to digest multiple sets of information Including correlations and be able to spit out and generate something new. This is starting point. You know, some of you asked that great question before about opinions. It's an opinion, quantitative, you know, it's using data, it's empirical, but nonetheless, it's still an opinion of what might happen. You still will want that flexibility to override that and say, excellent starting point. Now we're going to augment it with something else which is exactly how treasury behaves right now anyway. Everyone's cash forecast is a combination of different sources of that forecast. AI is not the be all end all. It's a source alongside other sources. But in this case, it's a source that might be actually a really good starting point in certain scenarios. So that's number two. It's, it kind of looks and feels like, hey, I'm just generating more data, et cetera. But in fact, I'm enriching, Existing data for better predictive power versus creating new data that I didn't have around so the cash forecast or whatever else. Then the third part gets back to some of the stuff we talked about before in terms of the automation. How do I, and this is where I love generative AI, how do I automate as much of that as possible? Because anyone that let's just say tuned in in the last five minutes of the podcast and they didn't hear that we're talking about AI and they just heard talking about look at all this data and we're going to predict we're going to take it from the ERP and then we're going to augment it and then for M&A my goodness we have correlation between sales and cash flow and their mind just blew up into many pieces because they thought how am i going to do that that's why the automation part is absolutely key that's what's so interesting in my opinion anyway about generative ai is because it offers that us that pathway into much more greater degree of automation We can basically say, I want to, let's just, you know, let's pretend we're using Excel. So everyone loves spreadsheets, right? I have my data in my treasury management system. I want to extract that into, say Excel, could be Power BI, could be Google Studio, could be Click on it, it doesn't matter. But I'm going to say Excel for fun. I extract it into Excel, and then I do all my little wizardry, otherwise known as AI, to create new data sets. And then I bring that back into my treasury management system. I want the wizardry. The AI to be automated, of course. I think we've kind of solved that one. But I also want the extract and the reintegration of that data alongside the other data to be completely automated so I don't have an analyst spending 8, 12 hours of time making maybe mistakes along the way because we know how that works in spreadsheets. I don't want that. I want this to be a complete seamless process. And that's the key that generative AI completes the picture. And we didn't have that promise before. And so I think that's where, you know, a lot of us can envision. Like five years ago, I could have told you predictability, better predictability. And of course, AI is going to do that. I could have probably told you new data sets if we thought about that. Like, yeah, okay, I guess so. I'm not sure how I'm going to do that. Seems like a lot of data to massage and and make work, but okay, I'm with you on the ride. How do I automate all this? I don't know how that's going to work. We're talking about thousands and maybe tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands or millions of records. That sounds very intensive. Sounds like a lot of problems. That's the, the full circle. The automation is the absolute key to making this a reality for treasury. Otherwise, it was just sort of, you know, to your point earlier, it's a bit more fictional. It was a bit more, I see it, but I can't touch it. That's where the technology has really evolved in the last 12 months to allow us a window of what the next 12 months looks like. The next 12 months looks like all of this is possible with automation. And then once we solve that governance and data security standpoint, then we're going to feel much more comfortable using these tools. And maybe there's a, you know this concept of closed language models becomes more of a, a construct or a label. Maybe it's the embedded tools and we're only utilizing our data to train a generative model. Maybe the large language model this large language model within our organization. There's room for that growth that we need to see, but ultimately the tool, the technology allows us to see here's what's possible and yes, it is actually possible. So it kind of merges the probable and possible so that we see, yeah, sure, that's possible. There's a star up there and I can see it. Someday I'll be able to touch it maybe, but it actually brings our probable and possible a little bit closer together when it comes to AI.
1: And again, do you really draw the limitation at the the final phase of leading a human eye? So with all that said, one thing you never said was, Do you think AI will ever get to that stage where a human won't need to do that? I
2: think the answer is yes for everywhere. I mean, I hate to say that because everyone listening thinking, Oh, come on, just say no. Say say the people are needed always forever. <laughs> you know, we we have a career path to think about. Um I, I certainly like this goes to any level of automation it's not a uniquely AI answer is that AI like any productivity tool is that there's certain things that we do right now that are too manual that take too long that can be augmented and improved and so this is no different for a period of time probably I hate to say it I could date myself really easily on this one and suddenly, you know, the shelf life of our conversation is, you know, twelve months because all the assumptions change. But you could foresee for the the next five to ten years that Treasury is highly involved in the input, the creation of the process, and the review and integration of the output. Doesn't mean that the manual parts can't happen. Like everything I described in terms of basically identifying the data, extracting it, doing things with it, we call it wizardry for fun, and then reintegration of that, all of that can be automated with Treasury still very involved in assessing, does this make sense? So for the foreseeable future, and this is where I qualify it, asterisk, foreseeable, because that may not be as long as we think. But for the foreseeable future, Treasury, and in its entirety, still is a significant role to play to ensure that the data influence is helping make better decisions. At some point people will become intermediated and as a result we will probably see a lesser treasury team at some point in the future. I don't envision that's in the 2020s. I figure that it's beyond that. Um, Probably right around the same time that we don't need to actually drive our car. I mean, because we all kind of look at that, right? Like we all have our kids thinking, hmm, well, they won't, they need a driver's license. Well, you know, some of these same levels of thinking need to apply into the financial enterprise software world and the treasury world as well. At some point, we won't need to, I know that this is a rewind example. At some point, we won't need to log into our bank portals to see how much money is in our bank accounts. Shocker. Well, that happened treasury still had a job. In fact, treasury arguably is even more strategic to the business now than they were then. Every time that automation comes, it takes something away, but then it adds a new level of analysis. That analysis phase will, for the foreseeable future, always be there. At some point, AI will probably develop or it'll blow up into pieces and never develop that way. But something will happen that will answer that question of, can AI be also the analytical resource? Can AI do the decisions and we just set the boundaries and the guardrails and allow AI to do everything within those guardrails? It's either going to happen or, as I said, it's going to blow up in pieces and then we're going to realize, oh, we should never have trusted it to anything close to that. I kind of think it's a, it's a continual automating of the roles and a continual... Uh, I'll just say more greater experience, greater intelligence, greater EQ, treasury responsibilities will be the outcome of that, just like it has been over the last two decades. I could be proven wrong. As I said, we might find out in six months that shelf life for that statement is just (laughs) completely over. But I do feel like we've seen what productivity looks like. We have a template for that. We've seen... What automation of connectivity and sharing between systems looks like. We can envision what better sharing of information looks like. APIs are much more, not completely, but much more adopted than they were even three years ago. Hasn't changed tremendously except that it improves the availability of data and transfer between systems and the speeds up some of the processing. What it doesn't do is take people out of their jobs it just repositions them. So I feel somewhat safe that that's the right answer, hoping that I don't get too much flack. For... Say at some point, <laughs> we're going to be much more disintermediated, but that's not going to be unique to Treasury. Treasury is not... like There's other jobs that change well before Treasury does. You know, bus drivers probably have more to worry about than Treasury uh, professionals that are trying to understand should I, shouldn't I do this to protect my
1: cash? That's super interesting. So bring us back to then the medium phase, right? Like the treasury professional today that's perhaps looking at their next, be optimistic in five to 10 years uh, on, on the shelf life of their job being AI integrated into their workflow. And we're going to see more and more of that, right? And Kariba is is already doing a lot in that, in that vein specifically. How is Kariba guiding its clients towards integrating ai into the workflow processes like can you provide examples of where ai integration has helped treasury operations already or use cases that you see like in the immediate future that are going to become a reality
2: in your plan? Yeah absolutely and it's uh, everything that we focus on and that we communicate to our customers and even those that haven't been customers but we hope might become one it, it is all focused on supporting their data strategy And I know I've used those words before. It's APIs, AI, analytics, typically in that order. Because we need to bring data together for them. We need to have AI to be augmented in a variety of processes, which we'll get into in a little bit. And then analytics is that key, which is still, we can provide much more insight and intelligence about what AI-driven and generated data alongside other sources means and what we do with it. So it kind of provides that actionability, if you will, which is so missing in treasurers' lives today. So we emphasize a lot that it's a data strategy and it's making that data strategy actionable. And so your treasury platform should be, you know, it should be doing all of that for you. You should it should be providing the APIs. It should provide the AI, either through an API, because there's a great app out there that really helps and, and customers want to have. Or just embedded in part of you know the organic development of the platform. And then the analytics to support that. So that you can understand, you know, to the point of what we need Treasury to do. We need it to analyze the opinions that are provided by AI alongside other um, other predictive technologies. So what we're doing in terms of AI specifically is the two use cases that Treasury cares about the most, cash forecasting, because we talked about that a few times. That's critical. Everything I talked about that's either there or it needs it's like it's there imminently because predictive power generation of new data and then the automation to ensure that that is implementable it's not a great word i know it came from the implementation side can't believe they create a word just around implementation but implementable Um, but it's realizable and so making that is available to every customer that wants that is our immediate path and that's what we tell people is that if you want ai we're going to provide that in a safe environment, secure, governed. We're not going to inject technology that has not met the internal controls and internal governance of your IT team as well as ours. So we obviously make sure anything we do, even if it's connectivity, is productized and it's within our SOC 2 type 2 because we need we know that everyone needs that level of governance. AI is no different. So cash forecasting, do that. Payment fraud, payment detection, absolutely do that get into the area of providing more analytics, like what does this mean? Again, AI plays a role in that, serving up the analysis so that you can go, here's what this means. Here's the impact of hedging, let's just say the Swiss franc on my euro exposures. What is my? How does it affect my parametric bar? What does this mean in terms of my cost of hedging? And utilizing AI to help do some of the automation, going back to that part, of making sense of all this information. So it's in every use case, we can imagine all sorts of them. Generation of data, predictability of data, automation of all that together so you have the analysis in your hand. And that's that's our mantra and mission around AI as part of the data strategy. And so that mission could exist if AI wasn't there. You could, There's some things that are programmatic and rules-based as well. Our mission doesn't change. we're supporting your data strategy, and we're injecting the tools that you need securely to be able to support that mission.
0: Well bring us home with with like the merger of everything we just talked about, predictive AI, generative AI, how it can be how it needs automation in order to process correctly. what is beyond that in treasury, how like make us dream for instance can we, can it generate complete new information, but that would be close to reality? Like expanding in new countries, for instance, I'm thinking of that. Can AI in treasury take us there? Absolutely. Absolutely, it can. So I like that
2: question because it needs to be precise and specific for treasury, anyone in treasury to say, oh, I get it. I mean, that was the beauty of ChatGPT in the first place when we all saw it is suddenly, oh, I see that if I type something in, it gives me an answer. I get it. The same thing goes for treasury. The moment that you are able to see this is a better cash forecast amount around my receivables, I actually can then reconcile that. And of course, you should have those tools in every treasury platform to actually understand the variance of your forecast. But the AI version of that predictability gave a better result. You know, week by week over a 13-week forecast, I had a better result. That reinforces what you know a client should expect. Same thing, you know. I'm let's just say Slovenia, just a wonderful place. If I need to ensure that I am expanding to this wonderful location and I need to use data from accessory countries to be able to do that, you need to see that in action. And yes, the treasury system as it supports that, like we we support that, then you're a believer. And I think that's that's kind of like the missing equation is you can speak in generalities all day long. Like, it's going to do this. It's going to do this. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to give you better predictability. Well, show me it. And that's what every customer that we talk to is saying. Show me what it does and show me that it's better. Because this, it's all a connected conversation. Prove to me that AI can do better than what I do now. And that's where the data journey from, here's what I'm trying to achieve. I'm going to use AI instead of something else, or maybe I didn't have anything at all, in which case, of course, it's going to be better. But generally, you're comparing it against something and then show me that it was that it was more impactful. Show me that it actually was a better predictive element of what my cash was going to look like six months down the road. And that's the proof point that everyone needs. And that's what we work with our customers on is understand It's not just saying, hey, we got AI. Like our marketing team can just say, hey, we got AI across all these different things. It doesn't mean anything until you start doing what we just described. And everyone has different tolerances and what their level of adoption is. Some are early adopters and they say, absolutely. You know, if you have an innovation lab, I want to be in it. Others are, well, I want to make sure that 90% of the rest of your customers did this until I'm actually going to even engage in it. And there's nothing wrong with that either. So the proof has to be there. And that's the stage that we're in right now is that all the tools are there. Everything works for many different use cases and it's live in production and across most of these use cases. But we're still treating individual client scenarios as a let's prove it for you and set up a process where it's not just, oh, look, AI did something. It's, Almost like parallel testing. Show me a scenario with AI. Show me the scenario without AI, and let's see who won that race at the end of the day. And that's part of the the learning that needs to happen. AI, uh, you know, something, to your question earlier on opinions, is not be better every time because we're all we're trying to do is provide some more a better essence, better capture of historical information and a better probability of what should happen based on what has happened historically, either directly or using a set of proxy information. doesn't mean it will happen. I mean, if it did, then we would have, the first use case for AI would have been what happens to the stock markets because give me certainty around that and I'm aware. The same thing goes here is that we're trying to see does this give us for our business, for the needs we have, For the fact that Treasury is now responsible for forecasting 12 months instead of for a 13-week, does it give us something better than we're doing today? And the answer is yes, you're going to keep doing that. The answer is no, we're going to figure out why it doesn't and see if there's different elements of that model that need to be a little different. Maybe we trained it in a bad way. Maybe we tried to train it with information from 2020, which we know is an anomaly of all anomalies when it comes to cash and liquidity. Maybe we tried to train it, and whoops, realized that maybe we shouldn't have done that. Maybe we didn't have the right proxy information to create a synthetic set to train the data. All of these are open questions. So when we think of, is it just a you know, plug and play? No, it's not a plug and play. But it's a tool like anything else that needs to be considered alongside what you have now for better predictability or forecast, and to help with those. I gonna say unique scenarios, but those. Irregular scenarios where I need new data that I just do not have anything that gives me a good starting point.
1: Well, that was all both a masterclass and also uh, in eye-opening and also inspiring. We also have a newsletter where we try to go through all these concepts uh, around AI and treasury and whatnot. But I think you did a better job than we have been for the last couple of months in our writing. <laughs> so thank you very much for that. And um, Is there anything that we didn't ask you that you would like to share that treasury professionals, I now we're talking about all spectrums of people in their treasury career uh, tend to listen to this podcast. Is there anything that treasury professionals should know about AI in treasury? They, touched on. It? I feel we probably touched
2: on it, but I'll have to reiterate it, is that data is the currency or the commodity that you need to own and manage in order to make any of this successful. And whether it's artificial intelligence or people intelligence, you need to become data-centric in Treasury. And for any anyone that sees that opportunity in front of them in their career path, to think, ooh, there's an opportunity for digital transformation here. You're probably right. There's a whole source. I mean, just you know, listening to podcasts like this as an example, or even newsletters, you're going to get a wealth of information around what other people are doing. At sometimes in Treasury, uh, you know, we talked about this a few times, but sometimes that crowdsourcing of intelligence and experience is what's going to push treasury forward, especially those that have more legacy processes or legacy decision-making. AI is new. It's scary, but it's not as scary as it used to be because of some of the advancements we've seen in the very recent past. And so like anything, understand what you need understand what your gaps are understanding what your internal stakeholders IT is part of this and compliance as well and audit make sure that everyone's constituent in this so that what you do is actually something that can be reused in your operation and that's why you know we touched on that governance and compliance and security of data becomes so paramount so I think be data centric and understand what that means for your organization And you'll find that AI really can do a lot for you.
1: That's a perfect wrap-up. Thank you so much, Bob. If listeners want to learn more about you or Kariba's AI innovation or treasure solutions, where should they go?
2: Just go to Kriba.com. We have, I think, a fun wealth of information across AI, across APIs, across data, across anything. So, yeah, feel free to visit uh, visit with us, engage with us, come visit us at events, whatever you want. We like these conversations. They're a lot of fun for us
1: amazing and we'll we'll tag that and your personal LinkedIn as well uh, in the show notes below and uh, thank you very much Bob
2: thank you it's a fun conversation really thank you so much